Okay. This is a very challenging passage of scripture. It may, and Sandra read it extremely well, it may come across as being quite a straightforward piece of scripture, a straightforward prayer from Paul for his fellow believers in the Colossian church. But that church wasn't established by Paul. It was established by a man called Epaphras. His name comes earlier in chapter 1. And Epaphras has travelled some 1,500 miles to speak with Paul about the church, to tell him about some of its problems. Later in the letter, Paul is going to address those problems. He'll correct some of their theology, which is erroneous. He'll warn them about heretics that are amongst them. And he'll admonish them to live properly before the Lord. But first of all, Paul, through his prayer, gives thanks to God for the response of the Colossian church to the gospel. The gospel has borne fruit. But Paul knew that the Colossians were relatively new believers. And they could easily get swept away by false teaching. And they needed strengthening. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you for this opportunity of sharing the word with my fellow believers. I pray, Father, that my words are your words, that you will open our hearts to receive what it is you would want us to say through this message of Paul. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want to take you back I won't say how many years, but to a time when you were a toddler and you visited Santa Claus. Or when you took your grandchildren, perhaps, to visit Santa Claus. And you sat on Santa Claus's knee, perhaps, and he said, what would you like for Christmas? And you reeled off your list. More recently, there's been a film called The Bucket List. And it tells the story of two people, a millionaire and a motor mechanic, who find themselves in the beds next to one another, having treatment for terminal cancer. Jack Nicholson plays the millionaire. Morgan Freeman plays the car mechanic. And Jack Nicholson notices one day that Morgan Freeman is writing on a piece of paper. And for a time, Morgan Freeman won't tell him what it is. But eventually he discovers. And Morgan Freeman calls it his bucket list. Things he wants to do before his life ends. And Jack Nicholson gets hold of this. And he can afford to do the same as what Morgan Freeman wants to do. So together, with Jack Nicholson's money, they do all sorts of things, touring the world, visiting places that they would never otherwise see. A bucket list. A Santa Claus list. And a question I want you to think about is this. How much is your prayer life like a Santa Claus list? 
Are you on automatic pilot when you pray? Praying the first thing that comes into your head. Thank you for the day, Lord. Please bless my family, Lord. Is our prayer time more of a routine or a habit than being really devotional? Are we glossy in our prayers? Perhaps not even thinking very much about them. That they've become so much of a routine. So I want to challenge you with another question. Can we sometimes pray without really connecting at all with God? Are we, in other words, praying more to ourselves, often not even acknowledging God's presence, nor who it is that we're talking to, and perhaps not even mentioning any of the theology that we know. Now I want to put down two disclaimers here. The first one is this, I am not saying that what Paul is teaching us here is the way that we should now go ahead and do it 100% of the time. Nor am I insinuating, second disclaimer, that we all have a weak prayer life. No way am I saying that. But I am saying that we could all benefit from strengthening our prayer time. We all need more faithfulness. We all need more effectiveness in prayer. So let's take a closer look at this prayer of Paul's. And we can first of all notice that there are three characteristics of what prayer meant to Paul. And the first characteristic is that prayer is prioritised. Why do we pray? There is a story of a, a little boy in church who was being quite fractious, quite noisy, quite disturbing, quite disruptive. And eventually his father picks him up and puts him under his arm and carries him to the back of the church <clears throat> and out into the foyer. And just as he's getting to the door, the rest of the congregation hear the words from the boy. Remember to pray for me now. When a, a, a situation occurs like that, is that us? Do we pray in reaction to something? Out of routine? Or do we regard it as an obligation? Which is what we should do. The Bible tells us to pray. Paul later in this very letter to the Colossians, chapter 4 says, devote yourselves to prayer. In his letter to the Romans, the first chapter, verse 9, God is my witness, says Paul, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Someone has said that if we don't have time to pray, we don't have time to grow as Christians. Not the way that God wants us to. When Epaphras first spoke to Paul about this Colossian church, Paul was convicted to pray. Look at verse 9 of our passage. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
Do you get convicted to pray for someone sometimes? Margaret is much more sensitive than I am to the, to the Holy Spirit's conviction to pray. She hears a siren or witnesses something ahead that might be an accident. And quickly she's sending arrow prayers or rifle prayers as sometimes called up to God. Lord, please get there. Please get that ambulance there. Whatever. We make prayer a priority because we are convicted to pray. Spending time with God is very important. We don't have to compartmentalize our lives. That's prayer time. Morning, nine till whatever. We do not have to compartmentalize that. We don't have to see prayer as somehow an unrelated act to what is the rest of our day. We need to be God conscious as well as people conscious. The second characteristic is that for Paul, prayer is unceasing. He says in verse 9 again, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. In his first letter to the Thessalonian church, he says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And in the Old Testament we can read that when Samuel handed over the reign of Israel to Saul, Samuel said, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Does this mean that we are to be praying 24-7? Heads bowed down 24-7? Try driving on the N332 doing that. Of course not. It would be very difficult driving around the roads of Spain. What it does mean is that our attention span should be such that we continue to remember to pray as circumstances come along. Paul says in his introduction to the Philippian letter, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now please recognize that I am not saying there is not a place for a prayer slot in your day. I am not saying that. But we are talking here about a prayer life. Being available and ready with our arrow prayers as circumstances require, as people come into our minds and as we are convicted by the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 of the persistent widow who goes to the judge, give me justice, and keeps going back to the judge. Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And eventually... The judge says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out. And we need to have that persistence that comes from prioritizing our prayers and from being unceasing in our prayer lives. 
And the third characteristic is that prayer is precise and it's detailed. It's very clear from the remainder of Paul's prayer, verses 9 through to 12, that he has got specific things on his mind as he prays for that church. How specific are we when we pray for someone or we pray for some situation? Do we choose to bail out? Do we find it easier to say, Lord, be with so and so, even though we know that the Lord is going to be there? Or bless this one, bless that one, give good health over here, better finances over there. Lord, do whatever you need to do here. You know best, Lord. Are we that easily distracted? Because as Paul was saying last week, if we can be distracted by the devil, we will. After all, we're praying in private. We're praying to a God who we cannot see with our eyes. Asking him to do things which, let's be honest, sometimes we doubt that he will. And we even wonder sometimes if he actually hears us. We are the ones that are making the audible sounds. But are we saying in effect, I don't really care to be bothered, preferring to get prayer over with, get on with the rest of our day. John Bunyan is credited with saying, when you pray, let your heart be without words, rather than your words be without heart. And Paul's prayer demonstrates detail in what he wants for the Colossian congregation. He's thought through what he wants God to do for these people. They are worthwhile goals. They are not bucket lists. He's thought through what he wants to see happening spiritually in their lives. And perhaps for us, thirdly and most importantly, he has concluded that our prayer for one another in the body of Christ has immeasurable benefit and impact on the spiritual health of the church. Wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't it be awesome if we as a church were praying for one another with priority, consistency, persistence, unceasingly, those things at the forefront of our minds. If Paul could pray for a church that he's not established, that he's never preached in, that he's 1,500 miles away. Shouldn't we be motivated to pray for fellow believers and the church where we worship, find our spiritual food, and enjoy fellowship? So what are the things that Paul wants to see God doing in the lives of these Colossians? Well, in the Verse 9, he says, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
What is God's will for our lives? Well, we have scripture. Remember that these Colossians didn't have that much like we have. They were relying very much on word of mouth and being taught. And the scriptures reveal to us much about what God's will is for us. In Ephesians 1.9 it says, He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. And I've already read to you from Paul's first letter in the Thessalonian church. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And in that same Thessalonian letter Paul says later, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And in Peter's first letter, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So quite simply, God's will for us is to give thanks, do right, not do wrong. But when we say the knowledge of God's will, and being filled with such knowledge, we're talking about more than academic and intellectual knowledge. It means knowledge gained from practical and personal experience. Practice and application in our lives. Scripture read. Scripture understood. Scripture applied. And the more we read and apply Scripture to our lives, the closer we get to God's will. What I call the boat grappling hook principle comes in here. You're in a boat, you have a grappling hook, and the nearest island is coming closer, but you've got to get to it. So you throw the grappling hook onto the island, and you anchor, and you pull yourselves in. Well, that rock is God, and you're in that boat. And it's not the case of pulling God to you, it's a case of you pulling yourself closer to God. But Paul also knows that to gain this knowledge we need spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that brings us back to prayer and Bible studies. In James, if you lack wisdom, ask God. But when you ask, believe and don't doubt. And later in James, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And again, still in James, wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Can you imagine what it would be like if you knew that someone else in this church was in your corner praying that for you. Praying that you could know more about God's will for your life. That you would have more spiritual wisdom and understanding. More wisdom and understanding to apply scripture to your own life. Developing greater discernment of right and wrong, truth and error. 
What kind of difference would that make to your day? So let's move on to verse 10. Paul says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So Paul here is developing a list for us. It's not a bucket list, but it's a list of goals, worthwhile goals. A list of in order that's, or so that's. I want you to know God's will so that. So that what? What Paul says of himself in one of his letters I am less than the least of all God's people. And in another letter he said, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Now I've used that word least, L-E-A-S-T, as an acronym or mnemonic or acrostic to help us to remember the what the rest of this prayer of Paul. And that word least should remind us of our own position when we come before God. That we seek him in all humility. That we are but nothing when we compare ourselves to him and to one another. We are nothing. He is everything. And as you can see on the screen, L-E-A-S-T. Lifestyle or walk, endeavours, addition, strengthening, thanksgiving. And we'll look at each one very briefly. L for lifestyle or our walk. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And in John's first letter he says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. What would others say your lifestyle looks like? What would your family say? Would people say, he's a Christian? Or would people say, of course, he's a Christian? How well do we display what Jesus has done in our lives, in our daily conduct? Living a life worthy of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to know that someone in this church is praying proactively for your lifestyle, your walk with the Lord? E is for endeavours. The works we do for God's kingdom. The opportunities we seize to spread God's word. Paul says it like this. Bearing fruit in every good work. And we are talking here about the gifts that we are given to use. Like teaching, like giving, serving, encouraging, making a difference. 
do we see fruit in our endeavours? A is for addition. He says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing, there's the addition, growing in the knowledge of God. This is knowledge of God himself, not just knowledge of his will for you and me. In Jeremiah 9, verse 23, the Lord says this, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul speaks of the knowledge of God as being the foundation of our very spiritual strength, our stability, our growth, and of course, our salvation. In Ephesians, Paul urges us to get to know better, and he stresses that increased knowledge of God, increased, there's the addition, increases our own maturity. Can we say like Paul in his letter to the Philippians, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. S is for strengthening. Notice what Paul says here. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So he's not praying here for the Colossians to stay strong, but for them to be continually getting that strength from God. Strengthened by God's power. Continuing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Depend upon God. Hillary prayed this very morning for strengthening Notice the difference between strong and being strengthened. Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's not about physical strength. It's more about spiritual strength. Strength to meet temptation. Patience, endurance to withstand trials. Wouldn't it be great to know that someone is praying proactively for your lifestyle, that you'll bear much fruit in your walk with the Lord, that you'll know the Lord more closely, that you'll be strengthened with God's power. And the last letter of the acronym. T is for thanksgiving. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Paul wants us, he wants the Colossians, he wants us to have this attitude of gratitude that we joyfully acknowledge what God, through Jesus Christ, has qualified us to do. And for Paul, that is critical. 
that we recognize what happened on that cross at Calvary. Now Paul doesn't tell God what to do. He himself had performed signs and wonders, but he prayed and he asked on their behalf. He took a humble posture, keeping God on the throne, giving God the glory. In summary, he prayed the following eight points, and they're coming up on the screen. You can't see them. I think they're going to break them down again and put them into two lots of four. There you go, or even less. Knowing God's will, gaining all spiritual wisdom, walking in obedience, bearing fruit, increasing their knowledge of God, receiving strength from God, attaining steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks. Two questions. How does your prayer life match up? Using the acronym, what is the least you should do for your fellow believers? God bless that word to you.